Buddy, I hope you had a great Christmas, great Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate out there, and hopefully you're joining us intact as it is New Year's Day. So hopefully everybody was safe out there New Year's Eve. We bring to you day three of the four days of Christmas where Murph and I are taking time off. We're giving you access to some of our Patreon episodes from inside the vault, behind the firewall, behind the Iron Curtain. We're going to let you in on some of the ramblings and fun that we have. This one is called Case of the Month. It's where we analyze and look at a couple of events that are happening out there, a couple of stories that are out there, and we talk about it, we give our insights, and we do a little bit of research and give you guys some additional details, things that you might not know or might not be able to discern from the case unless you had expert criminal investigative minds, not me and Murph, but somebody out there has one to be able to let you know what's going on in the case. But hey, you guys sit back, you'll find this at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we host everything. 911, what's your emergency case of the month? Q&A, the Narcometer Review, um, you can't make this shit up. All of that good stuff is found at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. So happy new year, everybody. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode we call Case of the Month. Yes, this is our final Patreon episode before Thanksgiving. So, <laughs> happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hola, amigos, amigos, players, playerettes, doo-doo-dets, everybody in between. Welcome to the November edition of Case of the Month. Yep. And good news to report, Murph has a brain. Yes, and it's, uh, I even got uh, tested on Alzheimer's, and I'm of extremely low risk. My mom passed away from Alzheimer's, so we were always a little bit concerned. And we thought that might have something to do with uh, me being the way I am, but hey, I guess it's something else. <laughs> and God knows what that is. <laughs> None of these tests proved anything. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, uh, and first of all, before we get started, we want to do what we always do. Thank you our players out there for supporting us. Uh, you folks give us two things, time and money. We can always replace money, but we can never replace time. So this is our big Thanksgiving hoo-yah to you guys for supporting us. It is. And, and you know, we say this every time, saying thank you just doesn't seem to be enough, but we really do appreciate your support. The fact that you're spending money makes money wonder if you need some professional help, but we do appreciate that. Um, and you, I'll tell you what, just you give us a platform where, you know, on our regular podcast, we stay pretty apolitical, but on here, we get a little more opinionated. So our regular podcast is about our guest story on here. We can just say whatever the heck we want to say, right? That's right. Well, hey, I got an update for you before we get started. What you got? As of 1643 hours Eastern Standard Time, which I believe is Romeo, um, which is uh, 21... Now, yeah, yeah, I think it's 2143 Zulu. My book was submitted to Ryan Stick. I am done. Well, not done, but I have done my part. I've done everything. I've reviewed. I actually had it professionally reviewed, uh, figured out a couple plot holes. I've gone through that. Actually, I used Grammarly, believe it or not. They were a sponsor for a while, Grammarly mm -hmm. Premium. I went through and fixed everything I could. I got to the point where I said, I've done as much as I can. The perfect is the enemy of the good. 
I've done all I can, and now I put it in his capable hands. Now, how long has it taken you to get to this point? Because I remember reading a, a thing. A lifetime. <laughs> back during uh-huh. COVID. <laughs> uh, it's taken about five years to get to this point uh, from wow. when I kind of started working on it. I had an idea. So I actually wrote a couple short stories, one of them. Um, hopefully, might be able to do – it's really cool. It's a, it's almost kind of a Stephen King thing. Uh, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, but it, like Brian said, when we interviewed him, he says, you get a lifetime to write your first book and a year to write your second. So <laughs> are you on the second one? I have started the second. I've actually started the outline process of it. I already have the themes that I know I want to do. So um, I've already got the idea for book two. It follows on the heels of book one and a cliffhanger I left in the uh, uh, epilogue. Dun, dun, so, dun, 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 dun. so we'll see. Well, you know, I, it came. I ended up writing a total 159,000 words. I cut it back. My final manuscript is 96,800 words. So what's that translated into pages, to say? Probably 400 pages, you know, somewhere around. It's going to be about a standard-sized book. A lot of the thrillers out there are 110 to 120, maybe, he says, but your first one, you got to come in under 100. So I gave myself room to add, because I know I'll need to add a couple things. So Yeah. Yeah, It's it seems like the books I read come in at like 300 pages, 350, somewhere in that range. Yeah, but that's because they got, you know, big figures and things you can color with, so. Right. I mean, who wants one that doesn't have color and get involved with it? Yeah, well, you and the Marines, give me some crayons, we'll be good. All right. Hey, Marines, I'll give you his address. (laughs) Okay. Hey, well, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Uh, We'll figure out who goes first. uh, I'll flip a coin. You ready? Okay. Okay. Heads or tails? Uh, Heads. All right. I'm going first, aren't I? <laughs> You're going first. <laughs> How do I know that? <laughs> well, actually, this first one I'm I'm loaded for bear on. Um, so our regular listeners, and I'm sure everybody on Patreon's regular listener, we, if, if you remember, we had uh, a guy named John Mattingly on as a guest, and that was episode 79 in January of this year, our very first episode of the year. Uh, Morgan and I have gotten to be friends with John. We were at a conference together with him out in, in San Diego back in May. <clears throat> I've actually um, had a couple different um, friends holding, uh, con- I guess, conferences is what you'd call them, and been able to set him up with a couple of speaking events. I will say the first one, though, I sp- set him up with was from my old lieutenant from back in my old PD days back in the 70s. Well, actually, he was, I think Kelly was... Uh, he was actually a patrolman back then, and it started. I think he got to sergeant before I, I moved on. But he is now a PhD. I won't mention the college because I don't want to embarrass him. Um, but they were having a law enforcement appreciation recognition week at their college, and at the very last minute, I mean, at the, I mean, this was planned for several months. The very last minute, the dean or the powers to be in that college canceled John because they thought it would be too freaking controversial, his, his topic about the Breonna Taylor case. Isn't that what universities are for, is to solicit differences of opinions where there can be a debate, there can be discussion, we can have differences of opinions, listen to the other people's work. I mean, when I went through college, I used to debate with people, especially when I was in the law enforcement class and I was the only cop and you had the people in there who'd never been. They had their opinions were very different, but it gave me an opportunity to to speak my mind. Anyway, I can't tell you how disappointed I, w- I was in that. John was uh, extremely gracious about the whole thing, so we've uh, I've introduced him to another group um, that I think he's going to pick up some business with. But anyway, um, I guess all that to say, John is our friend, and if you haven't read his book, it's uh, I think Twelve Seconds in the Dark. Is that right, Morgan? 
<coughs> yeah, 12 seconds in the dark. And this is about uh, when the Louisville Police Department uh, did a raid. I don't want to go through the whole thing. You folks, I'm sure, are pretty well, were well aware of what happened. But when they did the search warrant, they breached the door on a knock and announce warrant. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know a cop in the world just go kicks a damn door open and doesn't say shit. That just doesn't happen. So, <clears throat> knock and announce, well, Brianna's inside. She, they had a warrant because she'd been dating a guy who was a drug trafficker, and apparently he was using her address to drop off drug packages or suspicious packages. I don't know that they contained drugs. However, I do know that when he was arrested that same night, he was in possession of drugs. Uh, if I remember correctly, and, and help me out here more if I get this wrong, but his cars were registered in Brianna's name. Yep. Um, they portray her in the media to be some kind of medical technician when in reality, I think she was just maybe learning how to be an EMT or something. She, she like never passed the certification, never got there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I don't, I don't want to throw any dis, dispersion on Brianna because if the first thing John Mightingly will tell you is that by all intents and purposes, Brianna Taylor should be alive today. There is absolutely no reason for her to be killed that night. And and look, Murph, you're right. She she was involved in this. I mean, they they've established that. But it was but that piece of shit boyfriend who took the shot. He's the one that started this whole thing in motion. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I, I can I've, I've seen his name and all this research I've been reading on today. I'm not going to repeat it because he's a piece of shit. Nowhere time you know, for him. He's the man that should be in jail. So, in doing this research, and, and I'm going <laughs> to took this right out of the New York Times from uh, November 16th is the date on the article, and today's the 20th, and it starts out, fury over her killing by the police in Louisville, Kentucky, fueled protests and questions persist about how the botched raid unfolded. This was not a botched raid. Now, there's been some investigation afterwards that have put some people in a trick bag because it appears that maybe a police officer or two may have lied on an affidavit. And what is it we say here? Nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. When you carry that badge, when you've been entrusted by the public to serve the public, that's something you have to live up to. So if they did wrong, they need to suffer the consequences. But the way this raid was carried out was done by the book. You know, they, they, they even... Even the jackass boyfriend admits they heard loud banging on the door, but he, he said he couldn't hear them say police. You know, but, but the upstairs was, neighbor could. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, the last thing the police want to do is something that's going to evoke a shooting at them. So it just—I mean, let's like we we say a lot on here. The common sense factor is never used by the defense attorneys on this stuff, or or attorneys representing families who I don't know. Are they looking for a check? Oh, yeah, dude, that's they're looking for a seven-figure check. That's that's oh, what yeah. they're after. And you know, the thing too with John was, he, he wasn't like he wasn't involved in this thing from beginning to end. He kind of got pulled in towards the end, you know, to yeah. help out. And he's going off what other people are telling him, but he's going off his experience uh, when they were at FedEx profiling these packages. Right. You know, they know what was going on on these drop uh, houses. I mean, there was no doubt, and there's been nothing to date to disprove the fact that they were all involved in the trafficking of drugs, you know, and money. Right. And you know what? How many police officers have been charged in this? None. I mean, not with the, not with the shooting of, of Breonna Taylor. And there's no, I mean, there's no question about it. It was a police officer's bullet that killed her. But it was because her boyfriend fired the first shot. And who got hit? John Mattingly. Right in the thigh, right in the femoral, femoral artery requiring a tourniquet to save his life. 
And what did and what did the heroic boyfriend do, Murph? No, oh, that, that wuss. He lied his ass off. I mean, he talks about how he sat there and cuddled her as she gurgled and and was in her throes of dying in his lap, although he had no he had not a drop of blood, no blood. on him. It just none of this adds up. And then the thing that really pisses me off about the whole thing when when I read John's book and I heard his story here on our interview, the fact that that all the pretty people in the world, the the uh, tier one actors, the sports stars, people who are wealthy, dumbass politicians, all sided with Brianna before they figured out what the facts were. And that includes our current vice president, Kamala Harris. She was a senator back then. She wasn't a vice president at that point. But the fact that somebody th- at that level just makes an off-the-cuff remark about how police screwed up and killed an innocent person, go do your research. I mean, it's people like Oprah Winfrey. Uh, I can't remember this. There's this one really good-looking black female singer that I love her music, and her name just skipped. It's right out of my brain right now. But, I mean, it's just so many people. LeBron James, you know, there's, there's somebody that I really give a shit about what he thinks about absolutely nothing. Oh, so well, anyway, Murph, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> okay, so now there there was one police officer that pled guilty, pled guilty to a conspiracy charge. I think the conspiracy was uh, falsifying a search warrant, and that's one of the things that really came up bad on this thing, or makes everybody look bad. Because when one officer does something wrong, it makes us all look bad. Yeah, but Murph, l- let me let me put a, a just interject a quick point, John operated under the assumption the search warrant was issued. He believed everything that he was told. When he went there, he was operating under the assumption is that it was a righteous search warrant. Everything was in order because a judge had signed off. He had no reason to question what was, you know, what was in that search warrant. Right. Exactly. And and he had done research warrants before, so it's not like he didn't know what he was doing. And what did he do? He took he's a sergeant. He took the leadership role. That's why he's the one that got shot. He was the first one going through the door. It's not like he was, you know, uh, I don't want to say being a chicken shit, but you know, he was he was setting the example as a leader in this particular operation. And I'm well, he wasn't sure leading from career. behind, which has been a famous saying of uh, some politicians. Yeah. <laughs> we lead from behind. Yeah. Now there was one officer, Kelly Goodlett. Um, let's see, he retired. I'm just, let me make sure. No, 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 I got that wrong. There was one officer charged in state court with endangering because he's the officer that fired 10 rounds into the apartment after Brianna's boyfriend shot Sergeant Mattingly. And what the, the they're saying that he didn't have visual contact with the target, that he was just shooting through a, a covered window blindly. Well, you know what? When, the, when bullets are being shot at you, you appreciate it when somebody lays down cover fire so you can get the hell out of the way. And I'm guaranteeing you, this mayor down there, the, the governor of Kentucky, everybody that sided with Brianna's boyfriend, who is nothing more than a lying coward, um, has never been shot at. I'll guarantee them to you they've never been shot at. So anyway, Officer Brett Hankinson, uh, he was charged with uh, endangering in state court. And you know what? A jury found him not guilty in March of 22. How about that? So what do the feds do? They come and charge him with a civil rights violation for the exact same thing. Now, you talk about double jeopardy, but that pertains to the same judicial systems. Okay. So, yeah, the same sovereignty. It's a different sovereignty on the federal side. 
Exactly. So now we have a, a, a jury trial on that. And on November 16th, just four days ago, a jury, the, the trial lasted or the hearing lasted for a week. And the jury went into, into their discussions and decision-making process for an entire week. The jury's behind doors for a week. You think this poor officer's butthole was a little tight during that whole week? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine more? Did you ever have to wait a week on a verdict? Hell no. But I mean, four hours seems like an eternity. (laughs) So I can't imagine what Brett Brett went through during this whole thing. And the final result was a hung jury. Now, the articles I've read, and and all I've read is the New York Times and USA Today. So I'm throwing that out story right now. These are, um, these are not. Yeah, these are not. Uh, periodicals that I read on a regular basis, okay? So I don't put a whole lot of stock in what they're saying. I really don't put one in the New York Times because this is very jaded towards, against the police, okay? But during that week, the judge said they heard loud voices coming out of the jury room, even had to send security, had to send a bailiff in there to maybe calm things down. (laughs) And they report that it was predominantly white jury, but that's as far as they'll go. They won't tell us, was it, I mean, what's predominantly white? Does that mean seven white and five black? Or, you know, six white, three black, and three Hispanic? Tell us what the hell you're talking about here. You know, what's your point in saying that? The one thing I would love to have found, and I can't find it anywhere, is what was the jury vote? Was it 11 to 1, 10 to 2? Yeah, you want to know how many, because if it was 11... Uh, for acquittal and one for guilt, that tells you a lot, right? Versus 11 for guilt and one for acquittal, that tells you a lot too, right? What's the breakdown? Yeah. You know, and and, and this is not related to that case at all, but you remember the story about Lakika, the the, the yep. Sicario from Pablo Escobar that was caught up in New York, put the bomb on the Avianca flight, all that, doing two life sentences here in the United States. His first trial in New York City was a hung jury because one black female in the jury room made the open statement, I will never convict a black person of anything. She should be held in contempt of court because she said at the beginning that she could fairly judge the facts, on the, you know, based on the facts, yeah. come up with a, a conclusion. So anyway, uh, I know I'm pitching here, but um, so is there going to be a retrial because the federal government can do that? Well, the, the prosecutors, and we're not, we're not talking about just regular prosecutors. We're talking about the attorney general's offices overseeing this. Uh, Garrett, uh, what's that freaking guy's name? Um, I can think I got it here. Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. Yeah. He, now he's, there's a leader of, I don't know what, um, that what they're saying is, oh, it would be extremely expensive and drains uh, critical resources to retry this case. Well, why don't you just say, hey, we can't prove that he did it. Yeah, maybe we should spend some time looking for some of these Hamas people who are inside the United States that have come across our southern border, according to the FBI director, Christopher Wray, or all of these military-age males from China, from Mexico, from other places that have crossed the border. Um, Or how about instead of uh, going after protesters, uh, we go back after, um, you know, again, you can make a political discussion out of this, but they were chasing down that one guy. They diverted FBI agents from a child pornography case where the guy ended up going and sexually abusing and assaulting a child where he should have been under arrest, but they diverted them off of that case. Mm-hmm. It's outrageous. And I'd, now that you mentioned Hamas, I should have picked that as one of my cases, but man, <laughs> we'd probably be here for three hours bitching about we, that one. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> uh, and you know, and if you remember back, Morgan, I mean, even the state government, the police chief, the mayor, they all sided against 
the, their own officers. The governor's officer office sided against the police in Louisville. Now we got the U.S. Attorney, you know, the not only the U.S. Attorney's office, but the U.S. Department of Justice siding against the police officers because, you know, I hate to say the woke environment, but damn, this this is wrong. Look at the facts of everything. Yeah. Um, it just the only person that supported John from the state government of Kentucky at that time was the state attorney general, who, by the way, was a black man. You know, because this whole thing that everybody's trying to make this racial. You read through these, even this article, this one that the the New York Times did just kind of makes you sick to your stomach. The way they, you know, they did a review of the case. And here's what they determined. Well, who the hell are you to, to tell well, us what's right and wrong? Yeah, well, let me ask you there in New York Times. Uh, when somebody fires a gun at you, exactly what factor of race should I consider before I return fire? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, it just... It's it's outrageous what's going on, and and sadly, I have to report that uh, John Mattingly and his family still live in undisclosed locations because they still receive threats over this shit. I mean, if you would meet John, he's one of the the most humble, unassuming people. There's no braggadocious attitude about him. Uh, love the fact that when people call him a racist, you know, they obviously haven't done any research on his family because Zero his son was a his son-in-law is a black man who started dating his daughter in high school. And he said, you know, I could have stopped that, that relationship at any time I wanted to. But you know what? He's a good husband and he's a good dad and he's a good son-in-law. He's a good man. So it just, it's, what John has gone through and what those officers involved in that, it's just, it's borderline criminal. You know, if well, anybody has right for a lawsuit, I think it's John Mattingly. Yeah, and we'll move on to my case, but um, but just to finish out on that, yeah, it's like, but at the end of the day, John, zero charges federally, zero charges at the state level. Yep. I mean, uh, again, it goes back to, um, it's not what you think, it's what you can prove, and they have not been able to prove a thing in yeah. relation to him, but yet he bears the brunt of all of this. And he's he's the one that should file a lawsuit against the, the city. Well, and you know, he was told that, and it was basically kind of like, yeah, no, there was going to be no lawyers that were going to support him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Stand up people. Stand up people. Oh, yeah. You know, and and like I said just a minute ago, I wonder if, uh, you know, the, the jackass that shot John, the city gave him $2 million. The city, or their, their offering, I think it's $2 million settlement. Brianna's mom, twelve million dollar settlement. Is that bringing the, the poor lady back? And 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 just to reiterate again, John Mattingly is the first one to say there's absolutely no reason that Brianna Taylor should be dead today. Nope. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, so this this one ties in. So my ties into uh, some work I've actually been doing uh, on this project I've got with the uh, Department of Justice, the grant we got, this thing that I'm building. And uh, Chesterfield County has been one of our agencies. So this actually comes from Chesterfield County. But this is just shows you, um, I, I, this just kills me. I, I tell you. So here's what happened. About 10 days ago, Virginia State University is located in Chesterfield County, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, at 1.30 in the morning. Um, just filled County say the shooting. So at one 30 in the morning, uh, an on duty VSU police officer went to investigate a disturbance on campus. Um, the first, the suspect ran off 
and this their initial reporting. So you'll see this is the way it works out. So here's the initial reporting, and then I'm going to tell you what what uh, what has happened. So in the initial reporting, they say the suspect ran off campus before firing shots at the VSU officer, leaving him critically injured. So um, the campus was put on lockdown. It was going to remain on lockdown as the suspect at that time, single suspect, was at large. So who do they get involved? So now the Richmond Division of the FBI, they've got ATF, they've got state police, um, everybody, you know, you shoot a cop. Um, it's all hands on deck. So they yeah. brought all hands on deck. Um, I know the chief down there, Jeffrey Katz, uh, you know, he put out statements saying the invest. So Chesterfield County police is the lead on the investigation since the college is in their jurisdiction. Chesterfield is a County police department. So, um, and you know, and I like what he says, he says, Chesterfield County stands in unwavering solidarity with our partners at Virginia state university. We will not rest until the individual who shot the officer is brought to justice. So, at that time, so they they knew that there was one. Now we didn't get a lot of information about what the nature of the injury was, what happened, other than he was in critical condition at the hospital. Um, and so now um, they start investigating it. So what do they do? They they continue to investigate, and they find out it wasn't one people involved; it was actually two people involved. Mm-hmm. And you know, some people may flip a switch when I, I'm giving you the demographics, just so that you understand the two suspects are black. The police officer is black. So Bruce Foster is the police officer, five-year veteran. Um, he was uh, on the department and he's the one who responded to the call. So at first they rent a, they arrested a kid named, uh, I won't even say his name. He's 21 years old. Yeah. He was arrested Tuesday night. I think this happened on a Saturday. So he was arrested Tuesday charged with aggravated malicious wounding of a law enforcement officer. I think they should have, uh, they should have, uh, I think it should be worse than that. It should be attempted capital murder. Absolutely. What's the condition of the officer? Um, I'm going to get to that here in a second because okay. that factors into how depraved this story was. Right. So um, they were called to what's called Boiseau Street just after 1.30. The department said Foster was responding to an on-campus disturbance. Um, so the so the, on Tuesday, the Chesterfield County Police said that with the assistance from the U.S. Marshals, so the Marshal Service always get involved. They are great at finding people. Oh, yeah. Um, the Capital Area Regional Fugitive Task Force and, the, and ATF. Um, found this kid and arrested him. So like Chief Katz said, this was truly a team effort, but we aren't done. So that tells you there's something else going on. He goes, but we aren't done. Our investigation will continue. So this kid is being held. So then what happens? Yesterday or two days ago, actually, they arrest a second suspect in connection with the shooting. So um, to your point, Murph, this actually was posted on November 16th. So the Chesterfield County Police Department announced Thursday that a second suspect has been arrested in connection to the November 12th shooting of a Virginia State University police officer. The officer, Bruce Foster, was near the school's campus speaking into individuals involved in a disturbance. So one of the ones, so there's two 21-year-olds involved in this now. Uh, the the second one now, the one that they just identified as the second suspect, was one of the individuals Foster stopped to speak to. Uh, this kid lied to Officer Foster about his identity before running from him. So Foster eventually caught up to him and was placing him under arrest when the first suspect that was caught approached him from behind and shot him in the back. Nice. Well, um, so what happened with the shot? It has now paralyzed this officer from the waist down. Oh, my gosh. So. Um, 
they're you know they're looking to see what they can do. There's a thing called um, um, Fund the First, um, and and I'll try and I'll find the link and I'll put that into our show notes. But uh, the, they are donating uh, to this officer. So if you want to donate to his recovery, I mean, young kid just married. Um, you know, I think he's got a kid here. Um, kind of, uh, it's kind of reminiscent of Kevin Holtry's case out of Boise, Idaho, yep. who was paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah. So, um, so they, um, so, but that's the thing shot in the back, you know, yeah, just, uh, you know, I, what, I, see, I, the, the, so here's what, here's what really gets to me about this. It's the, it's it, the reason I think we have the wave of crime that we do it's the depravity. It's the lack of value of human life. I mean, Murph, you know, I, I've told this story before. You know, I'll tell it again. I was 16 years old, got stopped by the cops very first time, drag racing out of town in Abilene, Kansas. And my sister's 67, Pont- 67 Pontiac Firebird. I peed my pants. I was so scared to get pulled over by the cops. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought my life is over. And we go from that to now where we've got people who walk up behind a police officer trying to make a lawful arrest. Kid ran from him, lied about his identity, and he gets shot in the back trying to do his work. What is that? I mean, by a 21-year-old, where do you learn this right. at 21 years old? And, and let's see, what, what, what was his occupation that made him a fine, upstanding, taxpaying citizen of our country? It doesn't say right now. Yeah, it's because um, he doesn't have one, I'm sure. Probably doesn't, but um, they um, they found him hiding, you know, still in the area. You know, Mr. Rocket Scientist hung around the area. I guess he thought he was uh, bulletproof, no pun intended. And so now that they, uh, they decided, hey, you know, we're going to... Um, um, you know, I'm just going to hang out here. Everything's chill. It's cool. So, but, but see, I go back to when I saw that article, I knew there was something going on because I've been tracking this. I've got friends down there. There are people I've been working on this project with, but it, it said when the chief says, this is truly a team effort and we aren't done. So I would, I did, couldn't prognosticate and say, well, I know there's a second suspect, but you know, it just with that thing is that, but we're not done. So it tells you that this is developing over time. There's some witnesses and mm-hmm. I, I would be interested to find out later how much cooperation they got from the people involved in the disturbance. If people knew them, you know, how they found out the identity. This is a developing story. So we still don't have a lot of the information. You know, we don't know exactly, um, you know, everything that's behind it right now, other than um, he's still in the hospital. He's been upgraded now to stable, but serious. Um, but it, like they say, but it's, uh, it, it, uh, it, it, by all indications, uh, he's paralyzed now. Um, because of the shot in the back. That's horrible. That's horrible. That's that's a young man trying to do the right thing to protect his fellow man, and this is what you get. And this is what our first responders, you know, and it's not just police officers anymore. It's firemen getting shot at. It's ambulance personnel getting shot at. All first responders are at risk, but it's the police officers who have to take the initiative to address potentially volatile situations like a disturbance. They have to go in and address that. That's part of their job. And sadly, you know, more times than it ever should be, this is the consequence. Yeah, so just to follow up um, on this a little bit too, um, the, so I, I work with the Virginia Association of Chiefs of Police, so they put out a fundraiser for him. Uh, the law enforcement organization, they've worked with Bruce Foster and his family with medical and living expenses. As of Monday morning, the fundthefirst.com account, and this was updated um, just earlier this morning, has raised 29000 towards its $100,000 goal. So um, 
so he has got Bruce Foster has three sons and a young daughter. Jeez. And what's the, what's that donation? It's Does called it fund? fund the first F U N D T H E F I R S T fund the first.com. It's a site dedicated solely for law enforcement to get away from this GoFundMe bullshit to where they would pull fundraisers off because they were for officers and stuff like that. So um, he is in stable condition. They say with a diagnostics of, from his doctors of paralysis from the waist down, um, he was shot in the back. Uh, like I said, two men have been arrested. He is 38, married, and has four children. He's been with VSU police for five years and is the first officer in the history of the department to be shot in the line of duty. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, uh, here, here's the thing they would do. So th- this, is a, this is a young, or, you know, I say young man, 38, man of faith. Uh, the wife actually made a statement. She said, Deedver Foster said that before her husband left each night for his shift, they would hold hands and pray for his safety, our family, and the community he dearly loves and serves. So every night before they would go in, they would, um, you know, uh, pray. So, um, so while he was speaking with one of the people involved in the uh, disturbance, they ran away. Um, and as he was arresting him, that's when this second POS walked up behind him and shot him. So I, I need to figure out on the charges. Um, so they've got him. Both of them have been charged with, um, I, well, I believe one of them, I should say, has been charged with aggravated malicious wounding and use of a firearm in the commission of an aggravated malicious wounding of a law enforcement officer. Um, so they, they're both in jail. Uh, one has been arraigned already. Um, it just, it just, you know, just, I, I don't have any words anymore just for, you know, what is, what is it going to take to, to stop this bullshit? Uh, you know what? I'm surprised that, that some prosecutor there hasn't, well, maybe they got stones down there, but I'm surprised some prosecutors say, oh, let's just let him go on his own bond or, you know, his own personal recognizance. No, I know. I know that I got a sense of the county down there. They're definitely not, um, they're not of the mindset for no cash bail or whatever. So, and there is the, 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 um, the campus, the people there, it's a smaller college. So very, mm-hmm. um, you know, very connected people, um, know each other quite a bit. So, and this guy was well-liked by all accounts, well-liked by everybody. That's um, just south of Richmond, right? Uh, Chesterfield is actually, um, West, uh, bu- 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 yeah, yeah, south. I'm sorry, south of Richmond, yeah, yeah, it's just a little bit south and west of Richmond. Not to, it's, it takes you maybe 20 minutes to get from Chesterfield into Richmond, yeah. And what brought that to mind is when Connie and I were moving to Florida, we um didn't get a late, didn't get a start out of Virginia till late in the evening, and that's as far as we got and got a hotel there on Long I 95 for the evening, yeah. Man, it's just your heart bleeds for this guy and his family. I'm telling just, you, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to imagine what they're going through. But it just the the lack of just the lack of any kind of remorse, the lack of any control, mm-hmm. to just the lack of any caring. I mean, again, it's what have we done to the point of where you have zero emotions about walking up behind a cop and shooting them? Exactly. Exactly. No, you know, there's. Well, I just I believe there's probably special places in hell for people like that when the well, time comes. Yeah, we'll just see what happens, but um, we'll see if they're going to upgrade the charges or what they're going to do. So, all right, all right, man. Well, just remember, folks, fund the first. Yes.
All right, so uh, let's move on. Uh, your turn. Next case. All right. So the next case is uh, it's a murder for hire case, and we've talked about a few of these, you know, in the past. Um, this one, <laughs> I'm a little bit ashamed because it involves people from Georgia, and and we've lived in Georgia a couple different times. In fact, we're heading to Georgia tomorrow for Thanksgiving to visit. Uh, two of our, or three of our four kids will be there, and three of our five grandkids will be there. But um, you've probably read about it or heard about it, the uh, Lindsay Shiver case with her husband, Robert. Uh, and this all happened down in the Bahamas, not in Georgia. So that's a little bit different. Bahamas fun. But uh, just to give you a little background, Robert Shiver was a star football player at Auburn. I'm not, I'm not a big Auburn fan, roll tide. But um, he was the long snapper for the punters um, and for the uh, field goal kickers. And he was, apparently was good enough that he got picked up in the draft by the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, from all I can tell, though, he never made it on the field. I don't even think he made it through his first season before he's let go. But, hey, you know anybody that's been picked up by the Falcons or any other NFL team that, you know, even if he doesn't make it, dang, I don't know too many people that are in the NFL. You know, we had Keith Bishop on here, played eight years with the Denver Broncos, and uh, Trace McSorley was a star quarterback there at the high school in, in Ashburn, Virginia, and, and then went on to Penn State and was set all kinds of records there and then went to the Ravens. And uh, he's, I think he's, last I heard he's on the injured reserve list. But So anyway, I think it's still outstanding that uh, this boy from Thomasville, Georgia, and if Thomasville's not close to Atlanta or any of the big cities, it's down close to, it's probably closer to Tallahassee, Florida, than it is to, to, uh, to Atlanta. So it's, it's kind of a small town, but the boy done good, right? So he marries his, uh, one of the cheerleaders from Auburn, and that, her name would be Lindsay. Uh, beautiful young lady. I've seen pictures of her. Um, and then I guess when he gets cut, I don't, know what, I don't know if that had anything to do with them, but they've got three sons now. Uh, Robert has a job with an insurance company. He's a vice president with a private insurance company, and apparently he's doing extremely well because they live in a $2 million-plus mansion in Thomasville, which, you know, in a small town, $2 million, bucks, <laughs> that'll get you a hell of a lot of house and property. Uh, but they also own property down in the Bahamas. Not in and, Loudoun County, man. That would be a garage. and uh... Yeah. <laughs> You'd be sleeping over somebody's garage. They've got... Uh, Property and Dad Gummin, I just lost the area that it's in down in the Bahamas. Uh, but it happens to be a place where other people like uh, Tom Brady has a coastal mansion there. Uh, a few other big names, you know. So this is going to oh, be yeah, very, Tom's very right nice. down the road from my house down there. Yeah, I know. I know who. Yeah, I know yeah, exactly you what know you're what I'm talking, talking about. about. Yeah. So this is uh, it's on Great Guyana, Guyana Key, which is um, if you look up the the island of Great Abaco in the Bahamas, that's where we're talking about. Abaco Island is is it's just like a little bit of uh, southeast from Grand Bahama Island, which is where Freeport is. So there's your geography lesson for the day. I've been to Freeport. Yeah. Oh, here I just found it. So they own property in the exclusive Baker's Bay, a members-only golf resort with a-listers such as. Michael Jordan, there's a guy I respect. Justin Timberlake, yeah, he's a good singer, but yeah, whatever. Tom Brady. So, I mean, these people are doing well. They have their own private jet that they fly around in. So, well, I guess Lindsay wasn't happy with, uh, and by the way, the house in, in Thomasville is $2.5 million. It's not just $2 million, it's $2.5 oh, million. Yeah. So, they're hanging out down in the, uh, in the Bahamas, 
And the next thing you know, the Bahamian police are investigating a burglary at a, at a like a, a bar and an eatery place, a little restaurant there. They go in and they're talking to the to the people and and they demand to see everybody's phones. And on the phones, they happen to see some WhatsApp messages. Turns out that Lindsay is contacting a couple of guys there in the Bahamas, one of whom she apparently is having an affair with, according to all the reports I've read. And one of the messages includes a picture of her husband with the message, kill him. Ooh. So Lindsay's trying to hire, she's not asking her boyfriend down there to kill her husband. She's asking a third guy to get involved with him. So now you got this little three-way conspiracy going to murder Lindsay's husband. And no more secure way to do that than to do it over WhatsApp with multiple people, you know, just. <laughs> you know, if, here's, a, here's a clue. If you're going to commit a crime, don't tell anybody. Because <laughs> you got to remember the first person, you know, whoever gets, whoever flips first gets the best deal. That's right, man. There's one seat left on this bus. Do you want it? Here it yep. goes. And and here's the cool thing. So WhatsApp is encrypt. It's, it's what we call uh, end-to-end encryption. You know about all about this. That's pretty much unbreakable. Unless you've got access to NSA computers in, in a few months, you're probably not going to break that encryption. Well, there's things uh, going on with WhatsApp that makes certain things discoverable, let's say. And I'm not going to give up any more than that. Just you can figure out what I'm talking about from there. But this one, the police officers doing their job were able to get the messages. Well, now they, they're able to warn uh, her husband, Robert, who is still in the Bahamas, but he's off on another little excursion. I'm, I'm going to guess a fishing trip or a diving trip, something down there, knowing how things go. And, you know, now he's he's fearing for his life. And so he takes off with his boys and goes back to Thomasville. Well, Miss Lindsay, where's she at? You ever heard of a place called Fox Hill Prison? That's the main prison in the Bahamas. I've been there. That is the nastiest prison I've ever seen. Believe it or not, and I've seen prisons all over the world. Afghanistan, I've seen prisons over there. This place is worse than any I've ever seen. I mean, it's even the Amnesty International files regular complaints against them because of the horrendous living conditions. And that's where Miss Lindsay, you know, rich little Miss Lindsay, who has her own private jet and her private yacht and houses in the Bahamas and a multi-million dollar house in Thomasville, Georgia. You think she's a little desperate to get out of there? Her parents are to the point where the bond owner is $100,000. So that's not outrageous for you know this type of uh, financially wealthy people. But her parents are even talking about buying a piece of property in the, in the Bahamas because her restrictions are she can't leave the island. Now, there was, uh, you got to love the, um, uh, the Daily Mail out of oh, the United Kingdom. The UK papers, I think, do such a much better job than American papers of just digging and writing and finding stuff. Oh, finding stuff and posting pictures. They just don't give a shit. I mean, and I gotta love I love it. Is it accurate? I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know if it's any better than than the you know the shit we have here in the United States, but you certainly seem to get a lot more details out of them. So they happen to get photographs when they're transporting Lindsay and her boyfriend and the alleged hitman from one, uh, like a courtroom to the prison or vice versa. The two guys, they got them handcuffed to each other, just strolling along, and Lindsay doesn't even have handcuffs on. And that's that, you know, soon come on. I mean, it's, when I was down there for training, we were down there, police center was uh, in Freeport. It's just like they would come in, they would come in and check out their guns at the beginning of shift and just stick them in their waistband, like a 38. Oh, I got a, I got a gun, man, and just put it in their way. It's like, it's the islands, man. Nothing. We're not going anywhere. They, you know, 
different, we know, you know, different way of life. When I was down there for three months working with the, the U.S. Coast Guard and the Bahamian National Police, and we're flying patrols every day, the, the two police officers, there was always two Bahamian cops on the helos with us. And they had, remember the old grease guns from the from World War II days? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it looks like a caulking gun, but it, it <laughs> fires bullets, right? That's what these guys are carrying. And I'll bet you, I, I'd be shocked if they had 10 rounds of ammo between both of them. I'd be surprised that the thing actually worked. I don't know. I was when I was in Pakistan, the one quote guard sitting out in front of the embassy, the shotgun was so old, all the blue was off of it. It was a you know, and it was yeah. like he he was nothing more than a speed bump, just enough to slow it down so they could get the security gates closed. But it's like, yeah, I wonder sometimes the last time some of these weapons have been cleaned. Yeah. Well, so and Lindsay's husband, he gets back home and and so he files for divorce. Uh, against Lindsay for uh, adulterous behavior. Well, she wasn't happy about that. So now all of a sudden she's making accusations about mental and physical abuse. So she countersued for divorce. <laughs> what she's really pissed off about is she could no longer use the private jet because he, he nixed her name off the list. <laughs> and, and she doesn't have access to their property in the Bahamas because all those automatic utility payments he canceled all those. So, you know, the bomb is a little bit warm. Air conditioning doesn't work. It's it's comical. It's a little bit childish. But considering she's trying to kill her husband, it's extremely serious. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I would do more than just take somebody's name off of a list if you were trying to kill me. So I might put you on a separate list. But no, you can't, you can't fight one uh, murder to hire with another. Uh, although it's been done. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's just, it's sad. You know that that they couldn't just come to an amicable agreement, uh, go through a divorce. You hate the, you hate it for the boys, but apparently she that that you know, glorious lifestyle in her mind that she's hobnobbing with all the rich people over in their gated community in the Bahamas, and they've got the big thing in Thomasville. Just sounds to me like she thought she's above the law. She certainly thought she was smarter than them. You well, know, time to pay the dues. That's the part that it's, it goes back to the story, my story about the VSU officer. What happens to people now to where they just have no, um, uh, you know, the sanctity of life just doesn't mean anything anymore. It's like, ah, I'm tired of you. I think I'll have you killed. I mean, what happens with a society to where we get to the point where it's, you have no more compunction about ordering up a pizza than you do about ordering up a hitman for your husband? Yeah. You know, and just to give Lindsay a little bit more credit here, I told you she's a former cheerleader at Auburn. She was also named Miss Houston County in 2005. Now, anywhere else in the United States, we call it Houston. But in Georgia, that's called Houston County. Houston County. And more importantly and more glorious is that she finished second, finished second in the National Peanut Festival. Well, no, no wonder she's entitled to, uh, you know, all of these accoutrements and uh, trappings and things that go with, uh, you know, being uh, in the upper crust, the, you know, the top 0.1% of society. I guess she wanted to be the head peanut. Tell you what. <laughs> yeah, she's going to, she, she, welcome, welcome to Bahamas, Mon, because if you think it's bad now, <laughs> wait till you do time in prison, right? Oh, my God. It, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I do feel for her on that because that is one horrendous place. Ah. <sighs> Man, I tell you, um, I saw something over in India. I, we'll have to compare notes sometimes. Uh, these, uh, this group over there called the Greyhounds, they're a direct action unit, went uh, over in Andhra Pradesh. They went after the Maoists and the Naxalites. Some of their uh, detainment facilities might rival uh, Fox Hill. Oh, that, you know what probably is? I haven't seen a prison in India or Pakistan. 
uh, and nor do I want to either. So, uh, and I, and I need to correct one thing. And when we were talking about the uh, Breonna Taylor case, I was saying USA Today that was actually Associated Press. This information, some of this information I got about Lindsay and her. Fiasco. Yeah, but you know the AP. I mean, a lot of these folks write it. A lot of these papers just they use AP. You know, yeah. I mean, it's same source reporting. All right. Yep. Well, we'll have to track that one and see what happens. All right, final case of the month. Final case for this month. This one pissed me off. When I started reading this, I saw a link. I started reading. I said, this one pisses me off. Um, So this happened. um, This just was updated recently. This comes to us out of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, This kid, 21, 22 years old now, is a, they say he's a suspected serial rapist. No, he's a serial rapist. Wait till you hear the whole story, but basically here's what it boils down to. He got a sweetheart plea deal. He only spent 483 days behind bars despite accusations of three brutal rapes and violating his bond condition over 50 times to shop and play golf. Oh, my gosh. How old did you say he is? 21. This kid, his name is, this has shades of Murdoch, you know, and the... Uh, that trial down there. So the South Carolina Department of Corrections reviewed 21-year-old Bowen Turner's case September 14th and granted his release. You got to be kidding me. He's the son of an investigator for a local prosecutor. We know how much power apparently they have down there. He was originally facing criminal sexual conduct charges that carried up to 30 years in prison, but he was allowed to plead to lesser charges of first-degree assault and battery. He was sentenced to probation. In April 2022, under the youthful, so they have the youth, youthful, you're 21? No, you're an adult. Mm-hmm. Youthful Offender Act, which can be offered to offenders under 25 with no previous record. So what it allowed him to do, Murph, was this one allowed him to avoid the sex offender registry. Oh, well, come on now. It gets worse. Um, three women accused him of rape uh, in 2018 and 2019. The first case involving... Uh, the first case involving the victim was dropped, and details were never released because Turner and the girl were under 18. That, well, you know, that's bullshit. This is, but this is where it gets worse. His second victim, Dallas Stoller, was bullied. Bullied after coming forward with the accusation. She committed suicide at the age of 20. Oh, oh my gosh. And, and this is the bullshit that went out there these... Social media hashtags of free Bowen followed her everywhere she went. She was bullied into killing herself. She is the victim of a rape. She's a victim of a sexual assault. Yet, what do we do? It's all about it's all about the kid. It's all about the perpetrator. Nobody's everybody's a victim now. There's no victim anymore. Not mm-hmm. according to them. You're self-proclaimed. I can be a victim now. Yeah. I'm I'm a Hamas terrorist. No, I'm a victim. No, you're a Hamas terrorist. You're not a victim. Yeah, the attacker is the victim. That's right. So now Israel is the uh, is the oppressor. It's the attacker. <laughs> well, now the victim is Murph, but let me tell you, it does get worse. Um, he was released from prison November first, November fifteenth, the same day as Stoller's father's birthday, and the day after the two year mark of her death. Um, sister said it makes it a thousand times worse. Um, they're still grieving, and then they. Uh, the so the two year mark and the day of her father's birthday and then the two year mark the day after is when they released this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so they shared what you know. So they were able to get disturbing details of what happened. Here's what here's what happened. 
One of her eyes was completely bloodshot from strangulation. Her neck was completely black and blue from being strangled. He was charged with first-degree criminal sexual conduct uh, in her rape, but he was released a month later on a $100,000 bond. While out on bond, he assaulted 16-year-old Chloe Bess, a pastor's daughter, during a house party in June of 2019. Um, uh, so he was allowed, he was allowed to plead guilty to lesser charges related to her assault. Um, and she went on, so this victim went on, uh, and she was, I mean, she's identified, she's, she's self-identified. She's, um, allowed herself to be, uh, Mm -hmm. publicly identified. Um, she went on the Murdaugh murders podcast, which like I said, there's a link back to that during an interview. And said she started to feel uncomfortable when she saw him. She says, my dad's a pastor and his family attended our church, so he was familiar to me. I remember him coming out and I was asking my friend to come pick me up when she was coming back. Um, he pulled her into a tree line. There's a truck parked there. We go behind the truck. The next thing I know, I'm on the ground. He's a lot bigger than me. I only weigh 115 pounds. I'm really tiny. So there was not much I could do at that moment in time. I remember looking at the stars. That was the main point, and I could feel what was happening. I was aware of what was going on, and I was just petrified. I wanted to kick and scream, but I couldn't move. I didn't know what to do. I was looking at the stars, and I'm just like, okay, I hope it's at least quick so I can get up and run away. That's the statement from the 16-year-old victim. Oh, my gosh. That's, oh. So, so you think the judge and the pro- and the prosecutor and the, all those shitbird attorneys that that participated in this? You think any of them are fathers? Well, you I don't think know. Any of them have daughters. If they are, they 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 missed the mark on this one. So he's waiting now. He's out on bond. He's waiting for the rape case to go to trial. He was ordered to serve house arrest with a seven p.m. curfew, which he ignored according to court documents. Between November 3rd, 2021 and February 25th, 2022, he played golf 19 times, visited friends, went shopping, went to eat, and even left the state. Mm. None of these cases went to trial. So uh, Stoller's case was dropped because she died and Bess's case was reduced to assault. Unbelievable. He was sentenced to probation as part of the sweetheart deal. Um, and he was allowed, basically, after 483 days, um, he gets out. So, how can they justify that? Well, here's here's the, here's how bad. What do you have to do to get thrown in jail of probation violation in South Carolina? Uh, Orangeburg County deputies arrested Bowen Turner on disorderly conduct and probation violation charges after he stumbled drunk into the middle of a road, lied to a deputy, and while being booked into the county jail, protested the facility's COVID nineteen protocols and told a deputy, "If you try to put that mask on me, I will bite your fucking finger off." So. Um, hmm. So he was then, after a month after his sentencing in July 2022, he was arrested again, including disorderly conduct, possession of alcohol by a minor, and threatening a public employee. Did that get him thrown back in prison? No. Again, he fought the facility's COVID protocols. He says, you, you know, he kept, uh, so when he was finally thrown in prison, that's, that's the, that was the last straw. They finally, after threatening to bite the deputy's finger off, uh, he finally was had his probation revoked. He spent 16 months in Turberville Correctional Institution. Um, and this is what uh, the uh, Sarah Barber, who's the executive director of the South Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault, says this case demonstrates yet again how the criminal legal system can fail victims and survivors of sexual assault. All he's got to do is complete a year of community service and meet with an intensive supervision officer every week to ensure he's abiding by the conditions of his parole. But Murph, you know he's not going to. Oh, no. 
But this is where I said it gets worse. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, the accused rapist inner circle. I don't say he, he, he should have been convicted. So what did they do? They started calling um, the victim. Um, and let me pull this up here, too. So What's this um, guy's family name? members of a South Carolina woman who was sexually assaulted and who they later died. So that's Dallas say that they received they received a number of phone calls from her accused rapist families and someone claiming to be calling on his behalf, asking them to start t- to stop talking about the case as the man has an extremely bright future. It was a gentleman on the phone. He said his name was Adam and he was calling on behalf of Bowen. Dallas Stoller's older sister said, and he was calling to say that Bowen was very sorry, but Bowen has an extremely bright future, and we are dampening that by speaking out and telling this story and basically to stop. Um, what's that son of a bitch's name? Bowen Turner. B-O-W-E-N. We don't, I hate to use his name, but you got to call this piece of shit out. Why? Because he's still alive, and one of his victims is dead. Uh, she committed suicide, and the other two are walking around with this nightmare over their head for the rest of their life. Now, this this is a guy who needs to be called out, I think. Yeah. I mean, I just I wanted to see his picture, see what this... He looks like an arrogant little fuck. Oh, yeah, big time. Well, I wonder how, he, you know, did his family come up with $100,000? So is, you know, is he from a wealthy family in South Carolina? Maybe that has some influence? I don't know if it's wealthy, but apparently he was politically connected because, like I said, he was the son of an investigator of a, a an attorney, you know, the prosecuting attorney's office. So they, they so what he has, he has a connection back into the prosecutor. Yeah, and I'm looking at a picture of him. He looks like a tub of lard walking around. Yeah, I just I got to tell you, um, um, and, and the other thing too that's worse is when he was sentenced. The father said they were given no say when a defendant received probation and no jail time, despite the man raping his daughter along with two other teen girls, then visiting his daughter's gravesite. You know, and I'm looking at these pictures of these girls. These are beautiful young ladies. And, and gosh. Well, so what they're what they're doing is they're they're trying to now. Some of the family and family friends are have uh, created a petition calling on the uh, county solicitor, Bill Weeks, to reopen the Dallas's case against Turner and send it to a grand jury. Um, they originally hoped that they would gather 500 signatures. As of Thursday, more than 9,000 people had signed. So we'll see what happens. P- I mean, just uh, this, this one, I'm a father uh, of a daughter, uh, I, mm-hmm. I can tell you. Um, it was bilingual. I think it was a joke, but I, I took it to heart. He says when his kid came over to pick his daughter up, he says, you know, make sure you have her back on time because I got to tell you, son, I got no problem going back to prison. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's as a joke, but damn. Not anymore. It's not, you know, and when we see stuff like this, I got to tell you, as a law enforcement professional like you, you know, you do the best you can. You investigate the case. But this this is worse than that. This is not like there wasn't evidence there. This is like this kid got a sweetheart. Not only who he got the deal, who got who 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 got hurt in this? The victims. One of the victims committed suicide. The other one, oh, they were both under eighteen. Yet here's a kid, a serial rapist. Guess what, Murph? Guarantee you, um, we'll hear from this kid again. Yeah. Well, let's hope he's on death row the next time because he doesn't deserve any better. I'm looking, uh, I'm, I'm guessing this is one of the articles you might have looked at. His father 
is an investigator for the First Circuit Solicitor's Office, yep. South Carolina. And then his attorney was, uh, in 2014, as minority leader in the state Senate, he was accused of slut-shaming one of the victims during a hearing in, hearing in 2019. Now, just imagine you're in the court and you're that little girl's father. I'm pretty sure I'd have probably been held in contempt of court because I'd have come across the, the little retaining wall there. I look at it this way. What's the fine for simple battery? Just knocking the dog shit out of this guy without, you know, just, yep. you know, a couple punches and uh, get a cup. I'd pay the fine. 500 bucks, what, put me on probation. You know what I would do, though? I'd beat his ass, and then I'd, then I'd plead not guilty, and I'd ask for a jury trial, and I'd let the jury hear yeah. the evidence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, now, Boy, no, we're both fired up about different things today. Man. I know. <laughs> we're not condoning violence, but when it's your family, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Morgan. I've never told you this, and, and our listeners, because they're faithful to us, and I don't say this bragging, but as a uniform cop in the 70s in West Virginia— there's a lot of damn hillbillies came out of the mountains, and you ended up in lots of fights there. There was nights when I'd have to go home and change my uniform, would be dirty or or you torn a knee out or whatever. But in all the fights I ever had, I've never been a tough guy. In fact, I, I took Taekwondo because I kept breaking my right hand in fights, and that's not good. I got now I got arthritis in both hands from it. But there's only two people in my life that I ever knocked out cold, and both of them threatened my family. Yep. You know I put up a lot of shit, and and you have to as a cop, you have to take verbal crap because people are allowed to speak their mind. But when you threaten my family, the badge comes off. Ballpark now, Skippy, you're playing oh, yeah. my game. So the badge and the gun come off and it's me and you. It's like I'm a tough guy. Listen to me now. What am I gonna do now? Hit <laughs> you with my walker. <laughs> uh, you heard about Chuck Norris, man. He's got a new product out. It's called Walker Texas Ranger. <laughs> Actually it's called Ranger Texas Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Well, you know what? That's a good. That's good to end this this session on a laugh. Because man, oh, these I, so I would want to kill this kid. Uh, well, uh, figuratively speaking. So anyway, guys, uh, let us know what you think. I tell you, if this doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. But um, but we come to you again saying thank you, thank you, thank you once again for giving us two things: time and money. We can always replace money, but never time. And the other thing too is, hey guys, uh, you're going to hear this, and Thanksgiving is coming up. Spend time with your family. Mm-hmm. Be safe. Watch out for that excess a load of tryptophan and falling asleep while you're driving. So don't overdo it on the turkey, you know. <laughs> and remember to set your scales back 15 pounds Wednesday morning, oh, Thursday morning at 1 a.m. Yeah. Now you're talking. Now you're talking. Listen, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Uh, let us know what you think. If you think we're we're over the top on some of this, let us know. It's okay to have differences of opinion. That doesn't mean we can't be friends. Why can't we be friends? Right. Okay, we don't need that. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, you guys have a safe Thanksgiving, and thank you again, once again, for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the tryptophan-friendly, turkey-friendly game of crime.